up, party people? It's Talib Kweli, the BKMC, the MCEO. I love the fact that y'all checking out the People's Party and showing us a lot of love. You know what we do? We're bringing you all the live guests. We're bringing you the best podcast on the internet. Just make sure you subscribe and leave a review. People's Party, Talib Kweli. Let's go. One, two, three, and the place to be now rocking with me, the BKMC, Talib Kweli, the MCEO. This is People's Party. I am very excited to be back with you. I am still in Yellow Springs, Ohio. We are still social distancing. We are still respecting the situation with COVID out there. I hope everybody stays safe and happy and healthy. I got my lovely and talented and thought-provoking co-host of the People's Party, Jasmine Lee, with me. Give it up for Jasmine Lee. How you doing, Jasmine? <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm going to get a clap machine, I promise. I see. You got some new braids going on. Yes, I did them last night. My fingers are still sore. Okay. Well, they're looking all right. They're looking good. They're looking thank in the you, house. Thank you. <laughs> um, today, I'm very happy because um, this guest that we have today on the People's Party, I am honored to call this man a friend of mine. Um, he is a very, very, very brilliant man. He has a very unique comedic voice. This man has proven over and over again with his specials. Uh, my name is Hannibal. Damn, I just gave it up. <laughs> Animal <laughs> Furnace. <laughs> Live for Chicago. <laughs> Hannibal takes Edinburgh. Damn, this man keeps putting his name in the name of the specials. It's crazy. Um, Miami Nights is the name of the new one. Watch them all. They're all fucking fire. He's a television star. You've seen him on Broad City, one of my favorite shows. You've seen him on the Eric Andre show, also one of my favorite shows. Um... You've heard his voice on shows like Bob's Burger. Uh, he's a movie star. He's been in Tag, Spider-Man, a bunch of movies. You've heard his voice in Secret Lights, Life of Pets. He also played the homeless bum on 30 Rock. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> give it up for Hannibal Burress and the place to be. What's happening, man? What's up, Hannibal? How you feeling, bro? I'm good, I'm good. Thank you, man. How you feeling? How you really feeling, though? I'm feeling, I'm feeling good, man. I'm feeling yeah. good today. Uh, the past couple days, it's been, mm-hmm. it's been nice to, to. Now that the project is is coming out, it's mm-hmm. like it's a reality, uh, and 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 moving towards that. Uh, I've been working on it a long time, uh, so that that's been that's been good. So just getting things in place over the past month or so has kind of given me that, that focus to go, go towards something mm-hmm. because the past, you know, it's been quarantined. So a lot of stuff shut down. So it was dope to just announce this and then, and kind of go, go, go towards it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In, in this moment. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really hyped about it. I like your new haircut. You sent me a picture of you. You look like John Michelle Basquiat. Oh, the, the, the cra- yeah, it was out there, man. It was out there. It was, it was <laughs> three months, man. Three months, yeah. uh, uh, no cut. Just, just let it rock. Think about no getting doubt. fake dreadlocks. <laughs> you should be out here looking like Fetty Wap. Yeah, fake dreadlocks. Because from- I feel like, you know, initially I was thinking, oh, you should, you should get it twisted and grow. But that's just, life is too short. And so I just feel like, <laughs> Make the dreadlock decision, get some fakes in there, 
And then, you know, I could do the I could do the the thing, the trap thing with dreads and whatnot. I could do that a little bit from time to <laughs> yeah. time. Once once music festivals start back up, I can go. I'm like, yeah, we back. Also, you can come I mean, in the dreads. I, I should have gotten them since we I should have gotten them in the past week or so because I hadn't I hadn't been on camera that much. It was a gap, so I could have made a fool <laughs> some folks and been like, no, these are this is what happened during during quarantine. These are real. This was just, I definitely would have called you out. I'd be like, Hannibal's lying. I would have told everybody. I would have. <laughs> That's fair, fair play, you know? <laughs> now, when I did the Chris Gethard show, uh, man, I always pronounce that guy's name wrong. Is his name Chris Gethard? <laughs> Gethard. Gethard. Chris yeah. Gethard. It's spelled Gethard. <laughs> Gethard um, is the yes. Will Ferrell, Kevin Hart film. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, you gave me a phrase, a turn of phrase that I've been using since then. We were doing television and they were putting makeup on us. And I was like, I hate putting on makeup. He's like, this ain't makeup, this player powder. That's <laughs> that's not my <laughs> phrase. That's from uh, another rapper, somebody else that didn't like that they get makeup. They said they, uh, <laughs> this is a third hand story, but I player powder does, does sound better. <laughs> yes, I a, like it. Alliteration makes most things better. Yeah. Makes it yeah. more masculine. You know what's funny about that is that it's, it's sort of like the masculine thing. You don't want to say you're putting on makeup. So you say you're putting on player powder. I'm here in Yellow Springs and there was a barber. You know, sometimes you got to trust niggas you don't know to cut your hair in quarantine. Yep. Like there's a barber who came to cut my hair. He was like, how you want your beard? You want it to be like more full? He's like, because I could cut it to look more masculine. Right. Oh. <laughs> and when he said that to me, I was like, my beard don't make me look masculine. Like I'm already a man. Nigga, like how... What and he said it like three times while he was cutting my hair that you know he's like I like it look masculine I was like is he flirting with me but it's like <laughs> I don't I don't know any other barbers out here so I gotta let him come back and tell me how he's gonna make me look masculine next time yeah. I need a cut that's just you know that's result of previous conversations other you know <laughs> make my beard masculine not no skinny little chin strap beard i had that in high school and i think even in my 20s a, a whack-ass chin strap i hate that i've been photographed with that facial hair choice i didn't know beards could be feminine so because i mean usually we like our women without facial hair so i, I don't i don't yeah. even know where that came from he like yo you want your beard masculine no <laughs> right. no glitter <laughs> <laughs> the standard is glitter, but you have to request no glitter in your beard. If not, yeah, man. you don't say nothing, it's gonna you're gonna be shiny, man. Yeah, man. I had that chin strap uh in the get by video. Go back and check that out. Um now I DJ'd a party for you in Miami. That was fun. Yeah. Um was that before or after the whole arrest situation? That was before. I think okay. that party was 2016 or something, maybe okay. early 17. That was before that. Yeah. Are you still running with the DJ Burger Feet thing? Uh, I haven't done as many gigs uh, as Burger Feet. Burger, <laughs> the Burger Feet era was around 2015 <laughs> or 17. Uh, I, was, right. I was drinking a lot and I was doing after parties because I. <laughs> <laughs> That's like a whole genre. A whole genre of Hannibal, like 2017 Burger Feet era. Yeah, it really is because it's it's like once I stopped drinking, I stopped DJing for about a year and a half. <laughs> the drinks do go with the DJ, and I'll be. I you see me DJing have, IG Live, I'll be toasty. I didn't even have the desire to do it, so it was just. A, <laughs> it, but it was a it was a fun time. Uh, 
spinning and, and learning some some tricks because at first my blending is still pretty rough beat matching but after a while i learned little tricks to cover up that you can't blend you know you drop i got a good one i got a good one what's the one be famous be <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah you could have the playlist made already and then right, the, right, right. The, it just all rocks and then you just do that but I like to I like it when a blend goes well or if I'm able to keep the momentum. If I if mm-hmm. it if it crashes and burns, then I just say, Hey, I'm not a DJ. What you want? You want technical <laughs> DJ, you go see DJ Premier, you go see Scratch, right. you go see somebody else if you want right. perfect blend. That but when I on the rare times when I do like get a nice match and it just goes <laughs> smoothly, I get really right. proud of myself. Right. And yeah. then you then you start bragging on it. Like, did y'all hear that black? Yeah, y'all hear that easy match? <laughs> I mean, I mixed a juke track into another juke track. They're the same BPM. <laughs> I mixed two songs with the same beat together. <laughs> uh you talk wow. about not being able to get girls because of Hannibal Lecter. But now that you've been rich for a while, you got your skin routine and your hair cut down. <laughs> Are you still having issues out there? Uh, no, no real, no issues, no issues. I mean, the, the, I don't even know, if, I wonder how much the name was a a factor if I was just in my own head, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know, nobody ever, who knows? You said, is, um, there, is there special... some woman out there? Is there some woman out there that's <laughs> like, you know what? I want, if his me. name, if his name was Steve or Aaron, <laughs> I would have married him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You said in your special that you sometimes you want to be associated with Hannibal from the A team. I thought that was a good reference. George Papard. Yeah. Or later Liam Neeson. The A the the Hannibal Lecter thing is so weird. It's just so weird at this stage of life having people thinking that you're lying to them about about your name. Which I guess is fair because I make up stuff sometimes, but they don't know that about me yet. <laughs> They don't know that I make up stuff, but people really will just be like, no, your name is not Hannibal. And I'm like, okay. And they say, you give me, show me your idea. Like, oh, this is, this, you're way more into this than me. I'm not as invested <laughs> in proving my name as you are in learning. So mm-hmm. we could just end it here and go about life. We don't need to, I sometimes I'll fake like, I don't know who Hannibal Lecter is when somebody uh, like, they say, your name Hannibal. And you're like, like Hannibal Lecter. And they look at me real Expectantly, mm-hmm. and I and I blank face. I, I don't know what that. I don't know. I don't know what that is. What are you talking? About? I don't get that reference. <laughs> um, now you spoke already since we started about the fact that you don't drink anymore, and that you used to drink. And drinking was, to be fair, you know, a part of your routine. Like you have a. I don't remember which special it was, but you have a joke where you talk about going into New Orleans, a bar, and ordering a drink, yeah. and then taking that drink to go and walk into another bar, and you ahead of the game. Right. You know what I'm saying? You already show up with a drink. So it was a, a part of your thing. Um, now, as now that you're sober and, and being a sober person is a big part of the Miami night special. Um, has sobriety really, really helped you focus and helped your comedy level up? Uh, sobriety was stopping, stopping drinking. Cause I, you know, I'll smoke okay. edibles and, and mm-hmm. whatnot, but stopping drinking, I think, the way I was drinking and the, and the situations I was drink it was it was kind of because it was always there. Mm-hmm. There wasn't 
it was just show business. It stuff. was just like it was just is there. It's part of it's it's just in rhythm, always around. You could pour your own, or it's mm-hmm. always a server at the at the comedy club, and you can kind of just get it without really thinking about it. You're not mm-hmm. like because you're not buying it a lot of the times. It's at gigs, so you're not going one drink, two drink, three drink. It's just kind of it can kind of get uh, out of hand. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just really had to look at some of the the situations I got myself into and and ways I acted and and just had to you know and just how my health was. I for a while I had some out of nowhere I would just have like something right right around here mm-hmm. would just start cramping up out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And I would just have to do a weird stretch. No matter where I was, I just have to be like, just kind of just do it. Cause it would just be this terrible, I don't know if it was my spleen or what it was, my lip, but it was just out of nowhere. And so, yeah, it's Mm. just for my overall health and, and how I, cause I wasn't working out either to balance it out. It was just drinking terrible food. And uh, yeah, it just helped my focus and just, you know, how I spend time and, and it made me have to be a little more creative with what I do at night or think it's not just the easy decision. I'm gonna go to a bar and nah, I ain't gonna. So I have to do something that's really, you know, entertaining for me. Or if it is a bar, I need something there. I need it to be an arcade bar. I can't just go sit at the bar. Maybe now since post COVID, Anything outside is dope. <laughs> right, 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 right. But before, it's like I need more engagement uh, to enjoy myself and, and and stopping drinking help with that. I want to thank you for something. Um, you make fun of and challenge me on my engagement on Twitter. Yeah. And I want to thank you for the way in which you do it. Because a lot of people are people, you know, friends and people I don't know, friends and strangers can be critical of my my Twitter engagement. But you would be like, I unfollowed you on Twitter, which (laughs) is the advice that I give people because I'm like, if it's too much, unfollow me. But you understood that what I do on Twitter is just one small, small piece of me. Like some people get it confused and think that that's taking up my whole life. And you unfollowed me on Twitter. We're honest about it. Like I can't fuck with you. Your Twitter feed is too toxic, (laughs) but I can still get you on the phone. We still hang out. We still do stuff together. So just because you unfollowed me on Twitter doesn't mean we stopped being (laughs) friends. Matter of fact, it might even have made us better friends. You know what I'm saying? So I appreciate the way that you dealt with that. Well, because I get the instinct to to talk Mm -hmm. with people, but I would see, oh, man, he's going for a (laughs) 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 while. And I've gotten gotten caught up in stuff of my own. And so I get Mm -hmm. that need to... To, to to speak to people. And then I also realized too that a lot of times they don't, if people already are kind of set on their, uh, on whatever they're putting. I'm sure occasionally people will change their minds, but a lot of times I haven't walked, I haven't come away from any like back and forth on there. Like, yeah, that was, or you like look yeah. back uh, a year later, uh, that was cool. Cause then they, people hold that as their a trophy and 
And you'll see a couple years later, I got into a Twitter thing with him and da da da, da <laughs> And they still hanging and they had on that shit. And it's like, right. oh, I gave them that moment over something that really didn't matter or wasn't changing their mind on shit. And so it, I had a situation in the, in the, in the fall where uh, I started, uh, I started kind of going at people because of the, I, Eric, Eric Andre posted something about Bernie Sanders Mm-hmm. And I just put Bernie Sanders as old. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> like, he's old. I don't know if I want a 78-year-old president, which is look like we're going to have a super old president either way this go. And so then people started uh, connecting that. They said, you think Bernie's old. You don't like Bernie because you're a landlord and you own a building <laughs> And Bernie's going to take your money and your building. And so I started seeing on Twitter, Hannibal has rich person's disease. And so I made the mistake <laughs> of messaging this. Like, what do you mean by that? Like, why can't you just take it face value that I think Bernie Sanders owed? And so then it became this <laughs> Hannibal landlord thing. I lean into it joking. I post a, a link to say, donate to landlords. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I heated up I a little I, bit, thinking people will get that I'm joking. And people really took that part seriously. You yes, they really, did. It was wild. And so that scenario, I look back, like, what was that? What was I even? And I think it's just the the, the want to, I did debate in, in high school. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of hardwired for that. Like, not mm-hmm. in a, and it's not always to be super confrontational unless people are, are disrespectful but uh i think that that's the instinct and, and so right. it, it was it was really fascinating to a uh, fascinating thing to be a part of just because it was so it was really made up you know right right well, it's they, funny that you brought that up because yeah. when when you were going through that yeah it made me think of our conversation yeah and i'll be honest with you I when 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 it's happening, I, I saw, everything you just described is what I saw happening, right? Yeah. And I was like, man, this is why I go so hard yeah. because you 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 know you were you were clearly joking. But here's what's interesting to me about that situation. I've been supportive. I don't I don't as who I am as Talakwali. I don't support political candidates, right. but my politics align heavily with. Bernie Sanders and the Bernie Sanders campaign. And a yeah. lot of my friends supported Bernie Sanders so much. So we had Phil Agnew who worked with the campaign on our show mm-hmm. and Bernie Sanders himself posted clips from our show on his Instagram page. Yeah. So, you know, from the public, it looks like I'm supporting Bernie Sanders, but the same group of Bernie Sanders supporters that went after you yeah. went after me recently, yeah. just like in the last couple of months, because when Ber- when when Bernie dropped out of the race, and he endorsed Joe Biden. That's when the Tara Reid thing came out, right? right? And the Bernie Sanders supporters, the super, well, I'm not even saying real Bernie Sanders supporters. Yeah. I'm a, talking about just... the, the Joe Rogan type of Bernie Sanders supporters, <laughs> yeah. the ones who support Bernie Sanders and until he drops out, then they support Trump. Like the, I'm talking about the racist yeah. Bernie Sanders. They they look at they look at their support for Bernie Sanders as a pass to talk down to black people and to be, they can't call you a nigga and they can't even really be outwardly racist because they're supposed to be progressive leftists. So what they say is Hannibal Burress is a landlord. Talib Kweli is a bootlegger or a slave on a democratic plantation. But you said, 
And this made me feel very good when you said this. I am being made to feel like an asshole by 20-something-year-old white kids for trying to secure a financial future for myself as a black man. And I felt that was very important for you to say because fuck those fake left, fake woke, fake-ass Bernie Sanders supporters, <laughs> bro. They don't know what we go through as black men. How dare they come for you like that? You you can't get a building and fucking do an Airbnb. Now you like Donald Trump's pops? Yeah. Come on. Here's the, here's the other stuff, too, because it was, it, was, it was people and... I'm gonna let the chopper fly on this. Like a lot of the, <laughs> a lot of the folks, a lot of white folks posting Black Lives Matter shit mm-hmm. right now was sending me like memes of guillotine shit, mm-hmm. and oh, when you have to shoot Hannibal because he's a landlord. It's like I bought a fucking building in a neighborhood that was already gentrified by white mm-hmm. folks. It was white professionals living in that motherfucker, and it was black dude. Latina woman in the in the middle apartment. But it was like white people that was doing all right. Then I gave mm-hmm. two months free rent. They didn't, they never paid me any rent. I just asked them to leave. And everybody's fucking shit was. And even the fact that I'm explaining this, because it is it's it's personal info. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's your business. But it's, it just it's goes against the nobody else had this all this info. It was and so it was just like slumlord this. Rent. And I'm like, wait, if you really want to be logical about it, you'd rather have me as a landlord than somebody that only does real estate because mm-hmm. that's not my main source of income. So if you laid on your shit, it's not, it's not, it's not ah, to me because right. I, that's, this is not my job. So if you have something to get fixed, you need something fixed. I'm in the shit fixed just because I want the bill. It's not. I'm not hold. I'm not gonna hold off on you because I have an entertainment career. Mm, so for, yeah. and also I wouldn't. The reason I even did the two months rent thing is because I was like I want to make this smooth because if it gets out that I'm like I'm thinking ahead of this situation. <laughs> <laughs> The way I handled the whole thing was with this in mind, and it happened anyway. <laughs> right. Yeah, they was Googling my net worth. They was doing the same shit to me. They was like, oh, you rich 1%? I'm like, yo, it's like I just got it, this money, motherfucker. Like, yeah. I was asking people, do you really care about the issue, or is it just easy to, to put me on and say landlord, or do you really care about the big money that's, that's right. buying up shit because I'm new money. I ain't, I had money six, seven years. So the real estate crisis and all that, I had nothing to do with it. I got to right. build it in a neighborhood. Y'all gentrified years ago. Right. Was, and so it was, and so I was, you know, talk, you know, nobody want to talk about the practices of blockbusting mm-hmm. where people would, you know, send black families into uh, uh, white neighborhoods to, to scare white people out and then they mm-hmm. sell their house and and then sell it at a premium to black just and it's all these other things that are mm-hmm. way deeper than just Hannibal buying a building and asking some folks to leave because he's trying to, you know, secure mm-hmm. finances in an extremely, you know, uncertain business. Now like look, right. look at this shit now. Like the whole <laughs> shit is shut down. Yeah. And so if I'd be fine, but these properties that I, that helps me, you know, feel better about an uncertain world. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
And so Nothing's that's why it really I- hit differently than um than somebody saying they don't like my stuff. Which if you don't like yeah. my stuff, you don't like my stuff. But now you all have kind of just made this image of, of something just based on something you don't even have like real information on you because you because it's not it's not I'm a I'm a public figure but I'm a private citizen so you don't know the finances behind the shit you don't know the interactions you don't know how many I've got you don't know if the situation you're talking about is still even current because you going off a podcast from 2017 to try to mm-hmm. you know talk shit about my business in 2019 how do you even know how you know I sold that shit off how you know mm-hmm. I ain't, you know, move family in that motherfucker, but you mm-hmm. want to say landlord because of, you know, this podcast right. and because it fits that I don't like. But if I if I openly say I fuck with Bernie, I better been fine that I own a building. That's you right. Know, like, you think That's... I'm the only motherfucker like in Bernie Sanders owns some buildings, owned, don't he? Own a building. I saw some article like seven celebrities that are landlords. Like seven motherfuckers? <laughs> fuck out of seven. Oh, it's right. just it's just seven. <laughs> yeah, it's only seven motherfuckers throughout <laughs> entertainment on camera that have property. Mm-hmm. Fuck you. That's right. There's a special place in hell for a college-age white kid who tweets, kill your landlord from his iPhone, from his $1,000 iPhone. Fuck out of here. You can be my landlord and give me two months free rent. You just, because you saw me on Eric Andre or Bryce or whatever, mm. you like, oh, I can't believe he got a building with the fucking money from that huge corporation. <laughs> the Eric Andre adult swim money. Hey, you got, I can't <laughs> believe he did, he did something. Wait, we don't get to sign off on what he does. With, well, we got to voice our tweets. He owns a building. Just shut up, like... Go talk to your motherfucking granddad. Well, you talked to me about getting a building mm-hmm. in 2013. Mm-hmm. Go run right his up. sheets. Right up. Uh, you're you're born in Chicago, and in the comedy world, brings up names like D D Ray, Dion Cole, Second City, Bernie Mac, my homie Lil Rel, and um, I see a lot of similarities with you and Bernie and how you treat the audience. But what do you consider your Chicago comedy influence? Uh, Chicago comedy. I watched a lot of Dion early on. Uh, mm. Lil Rail, I met very early in my career and uh, did some shows with him. Uh, Dwayne Kennedy is uh, is really hilarious. He just put out an album recently. So y'all check that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, Corey Holcomb, I remember seeing, and uh, Leon Rogers, who's uh, he's uh, in, in Chicago. Leon's an amazing host, man, and always has great new material and super creative. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a bunch. It was a bunch of great comedians out out of the shot. Um, there's great hip hop out of Chicago. You're connected to the great hip hop out of Chicago. You went to college with an uh, open mic eagle. Yeah, yeah. A Southern State is that correct? Southern Illinois University, Carbondale. Okay. Illinois. That's where I started doing comedy in uh in 2002. And mm-hmm. uh Open Mic uh was known as Open Mic when I first when we knew each other. He didn't really I didn't, he didn't really record much music. Mm-hmm. He was known as a battle rapper. Okay. He was he was uh yeah, he was known as best battle rapper on on campus. And so we had uh Sunday school sessions which is the poetry, comedy, music, open mic. And I, I hosted mm-hmm. that. Um, 
and that was a dope scene to to just you know have a, a weekly thing that we all we mm-hmm. all performed that it, it was it was great times. I got some of those old tapes. I was looking through them. I was a terrible host. <laughs> I was like um, stretching for no reason in between acts, but <laughs> poorly stretching. Where like right, get if I, I'm watching the tape, like get them get them out of it. Right, right. <laughs> um, I mean, you worked with you worked you worked with Kanye, Chance, um, but. As far as the hip hop scene, your work with Gene Gray and Cool Chris is probably my favorite work because Gene Gray, <laughs> as, as to me as an MC, Gene Gray is is probably the best MC I've ever heard. Um, yeah. She's somebody who, me as a writer and as a lyricist and as a performer, I'm striving. There's certain people who do that for me. Farrell March does that for me. Yeah. Uh, Black Thought does that for me. But Gene Gray. Um, and I think she gets left out of the conversation because she's a female hip hop artist. But even when I was working closely with Jean Grey, she would work hard to to shed that label of yeah. the female. She hates the term femme C. She hates being referred to as a female MC. And because hip hop is so misogynistic, and because she's such a naturally uh, talented person in the comedic space, she moved away from hip hop and moved more into the comedy space. So the albums and the work that she's done with Cool Chris to me, yeah. it started to become funnier and freer. And then I heard you rapping on the, on the project as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gene is, uh, is amazing. I was actually, I was so, uh, I was nervous cutting that verse mm-hmm. because I was on a track with, with Gene Gray. I'd known her for a few years at that point, but, uh, mm-hmm. I, I cut it at their studio and it was, I was like, oh, I got to rap on it. And I did not, <laughs> I was like, I don't know. Right. I, and I didn't prep that much because I hadn't had, you know, I wasn't used to going to the studio that much. So the stuff I did was kind of loose and not really, you know, I wasn't like, I have a locked process. So I kind of had mm-hmm. to write there. If, and, and so I, I'm, uh, I'm glad people enjoyed that verse. Cause I was, I was it's really, fun. yeah, it was, a, it was, did it a, I think did a few takes and and kind of put it together, but uh, it, that that was really dope. Um, now your mom is a teacher. Uh, my mom is a teacher. Common's mom is a teacher. Recipes to Don DeWest. Kanye's mom is a teacher. How do you think the methods and approach to life that a teacher brings to the table made you the comedian that you are? Uh, I don't. Know. My mom was a. Uh, my mom when I was born, up until maybe the mid nineties or so uh, my mom worked at a psychiatric hospital actually. And then she moved into being a a teacher's assistant at uh, the school. I I went to it from K to six St. Paul Lutheran school on the West side of Chicago. Uh, I think early on my, my mom read to me a lot. And I think that just helped just, and you know, maybe I just you know picked up stuff easily, but I think mm-hmm. her, her reading so much to me uh, just was a very just a big influence on on how I learned and and just uh, you know when I when I got into preschool and 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 kindergarten I was I was reading a little bit faster than everybody mm-hmm. and and kind of doing I did math a little bit better and so that that was a uh, I think it was just, you know, for my parents kind of really, you know, drilling stuff in and 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 and, and getting stuff going real early. Mm. That's dope. In your new special, Miami Nights, there's footage of your first set ever, which mm-hmm. is a teenage Hannibal uh, doing I'm So Black jokes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
Can you talk to me about how colorism in the black um, community was for you growing up? Uh, it was, yeah, people act like it was your decision. <laughs> and it was, you know, as, as a kid, as a young kid, it's just a lot of, it's a lot of those jokes. Just you black, you super black, you black, you black like cold, you so black, you purple, you black. Mm. So I think it sticks with you, you know. So when I first started doing stand up, that was one of the things. Like, oh, this is something that's bonkers that people would say to me. Like, it's like know. some eight mile shit. Yeah, like it's uh, Cheddar Bob did shoot himself in the leg. <laughs> <laughs> and even some of the stuff you think about it, you got called African booty scratches. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you're an African booty scratch. Like, what is that? Why are you calling me that? I don't even know. <laughs> when did you. it start? <laughs> it's what? so many different generations that had that same diss. Like, who started African booty scratcher? Yeah, such know. a specific, a specific diss. Yeah. <laughs> and then it just ends up, you know, that kind of makes people. It starts ingraining a, a, a poor image of Africa early on. Mm. I want to mm -hmm. go to Africa. Well, booty scratches there. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? I don't know. Just something. I don't know. Right. I heard, it, I heard it somewhere. Booty scratcher, Africa. I don't know. <laughs> um, now, when we had Eric Andre on recently to talk about his work and Bad Trip and everything, and um, my view was that your character on the Eric Andre show is a sociopath and I brought that up mm -hmm. and then Eric Andre said no he he is a sociopath and then when the episode aired you called me and he was like you FaceTimed me and I was yeah. like you know I don't normally open FaceTimes on the first time I yeah. normally want people to hit me first but it's, it's Hannibal Burris. Yeah. you know what I'm saying so I opened it up and your face you had the duck lips and you was looking at me he was like you think I'm a sociopath <laughs> <laughs> So yeah. did you get, you said you was going to get at Eric Andre after that. Did you get at him? Did I get it? I think I tried to call him and pick up and then. Well, now's your chance to get at him on the show. Hey, yeah. Yo, yo, don't be in your interviews calling me a, a sociopath. <laughs> and then at least, just, at least, you know, heads up. Hey, I said <laughs> you're a sociopath in this interview. <laughs> so I'm not caught off guard. Then I just know not to watch. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's the thing. And that happens. I mean, I know in an Eric interview, I'm probably going to get spoken about, but mm -hmm. even sometimes I, I'll be watching random shit, you know, just watching it just to enjoy it. And then somebody's mm -hmm. like, yeah, Hannibal, da, da. and he's like, Oh, it kind of, uh, it's just, it, it throw it takes you out of you're like, Oh, I, mm -hmm. I was just watching as a, I was watching now. Right. I'm, and now I'm, I'm part of it. Now I'm in it. Uh, it took me, took me out of, <laughs> I had a weird uh, right. situation. I started uh, making some music with uh, Jamil. It's uh, Jamil Bruno Kentaro. And uh, we had worked on a song. I didn't really, that song was was bad, but it was just good to, you know, get something out and try some shit. We'll, we'll get them on the next one. And mm -hmm. uh, th But <laughs> the next day, I see he's on IG Live. And I'm like, oh, what are you up to on IG Live? And he was playing the song on live. And I was like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> like, yo, turn it off! <laughs> wow. Y'all got such a special relationship, though. How did that relationship develop? Eric told us about y'all sleeping in on the train and in parks and being broke, starting that show and starting y'all comedy careers together. Yeah, Eric, I met in... Um 
06 in in New York. Uh, I didn't know he was homeless too during that time. I I, <laughs> I, I was there for about four months in in 06, and uh, met him doing. I think might have been this show Botanica, mm-hmm. uh, or the bar might have been Botanica on, on Houston on a Sunday night show. I remember seeing him. Uh, Dan Curry uh, that works with her, he was on there too. Uh, yeah, and then ended up Victor Varnado put together this thing, the awkward comedy show. Where it was me, uh, Eric, Baron Vaughn, Marina Franklin, Victor uh, hosted. No, Vic, no, Marina hosted, I think. And, uh, and you know, be on different shows. And then he put together the Eric Andre show, shot it in a bodega. Uh, I just, it was just. You know, you just kind of do stuff your friends ask at that time, you know. It's like, like kick Flavor Flav in the face, stuff like that? Well, the Flavor Flav, <laughs> you just jumped ahead. Uh, I'm sorry. A I'm real sorry. smooth uh, seven years. <laughs> I'm sorry. It just when, when you said you do things your friends, I just saw it. I just f- had a flash and you yeah. put that face kick. Meaning, but meaning at that at that mm-hmm. stage of uh, stand-up, you know, 24, 25 years old in New York, mm-hmm. Your friend, hey, we shooting something. All right, let's do it. Right. You know, we want to do this recording. All right, well, you know, I and I we did it, and I didn't really because it was in this bodega. They had to move like garbage out of the way. It was real lo-fi situation, and it was a while before there was any traction with it. I didn't really think much of it because I didn't. I mean, I'm not about the show itself, but I mm-hmm. shot stuff with other people, and you know, it, it didn't. So I would jokingly say, hey, what's going on with that show, man? You're going to get it. And so at the, a few years later is when that uh, the pilot came through, I think 2011 or 2012 or so, maybe 2011. And 20, we shot it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we actually, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's dope to see, you know, the, the progression. Just because that's something that wouldn't have worked if he didn't do it himself. Right. It that's wouldn't dope. have if he just tried to pitch that it wouldn't work the worst talk show ever so it's one a lot of stuff you know broad city was the same way broad city was a web series and then so it's just you know you you're able to show what what you want to do and and instead of trying to explain it to people and make it happen i love broad city man I, i i watched every episode two or three four or five times i really love what what you did in that show um uh, Abby and Alana, I think they're they're awesome. That character, were you given free reign to develop that character? Because it seems a lot like you. Yeah, I don't really, uh, I don't really stretch too much as an actor. <laughs> uh, I kind of, you know, if you gonna get me how I am that day. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, 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 right. I mean, the opening, the first, the first scene of Broad City when you laying, when you having sex and you laying down, like that's just, yeah, that's classic TV, bro. That's it's a wild you. way to intro. That's a wild yeah. way to uh, it- introduce the character and uh, kick off the show. That's right. Yeah. Um, now, you had this crazy run from 2009 to about 2012 where you were doing all types of full hour specials, writing for great TV shows, appearing on all these late night TV shows. What was that creative period like? And um, how did you know that it was your time to keep your foot on the gas at that time? 2009... Is when I got on late night with Jimmy Fallon last minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody got sick and couldn't, ma- and so they I had submitted a tape. So they hit me up the day before 
to do Late Night with Jimmy Fallon. So I, I go to the... And, and at that time in New York, if you weren't really getting booked like that, if mm-hmm. you got a late night set, you could use the late night set to get spots. So then I, mm-hmm. I went to the comedy club and uh, did the show. It went well. Uh, mm-hmm. And then uh, I, I was just you hoping that it would help me get some some work and, and, and you know, boost my, my tickets on the road. But then Seth Meyers reaches out to to meet because of it. I didn't want to meet with Seth Myers initially because mm. I didn't, I hadn't submitted anything for SNL. So I was like, that. I had submitted the mm. year before actually a, a terrible audition tape. And so I was like, I don't know where this is. This is really, this is going. And also I had a Priceline name your own price ticket booked back to Chicago and those tickets, they're not very mm. flexible. So the day they were trying to meet was to win that ticket. I was like, I don't want this ticket, man. I don't right. know, man. Yeah, <laughs> Priceline ticket. I ain't trying to deal with them. These things are tough to change. My agent said, please go meet Seth Myers. And I go meet him and he right. offered me the job. Uh, and that was pretty hot. And it turns out Priceline ticket, it was I, it was easily changeable. I put a I put a wall up that wasn't wasn't really there. So worked on SNL and that was a that was a interesting experience. Went from SNL to 30 Rock. And then after 30 Rock, I kind of wanted to focus on stand-up more. That's because I wanted to just really hit the road. I can't, I had cabin fever from working on um, 30 Rock and being in that office setting. And mm-hmm. so I overreacted to that. Like, I'm going on the road and did it, you mm-hmm. know, every weekend from like March to November. Uh, and then filmed Animal Furnace at the end of that. Uh, and that was the first special. Actually, Animal Furnace and Eric Andre season one premiered on the same day, May twentieth, oh, twenty twelve. Was so was that why? Because as you say, you wrote for Thirty Rock and SNL. Was that why that you quit both of them so quickly because you wanted to get back on the road, or was there? Yeah, the, uh, well, SNL. I uh, they just kind of didn't hire me back after my year writing that. I don't think I was really suited for sketch writing at that time. I think I was better suited for something is more on camera or working in, in tandem. If I was working in tandem with somebody to kind of develop my voice and do on camera, I think I would have had a different uh, different amount of success on the show. Uh, and then 30 mm-hmm. Rock was uh it was dope but I, I realized it wasn't for me to be in a in the writer's room i think just for my what my energy was and my level of focus i had adhd so and it was undiagnosed mm. at the time but just being in those type of settings i didn't i would i didn't function at my peak at all i was kind of a little checked out i would have little spurts here where i would generate ideas but for the most part that setting wasn't wasn't really best for for my energy mm. Your Knitting Factory comedy yeah. shows, uh, they became historic and people still talk about them to this day. Um, what was so special about that uh, venue and scene at the time? And who was like the comics comic of those shows? The Knitting Factory shows were, uh, we started that in uh, 2009 while I, when I started r- working with SNL. Actually, I did the opening night of uh, Knitting Factory. It was this band. We had the same agent at the time, agent um, Robin, and she booked La Savi Five. And so I opened up uh, for them. So I was the first performer ever uh, 
at that at that Brooklyn uh, that Brooklyn Hidden Factory, which is, and so then after that, they asked me if I wanted to do a comedy night. Mm-hmm. I was at SNL, so my only night off was Sunday, so that's why I became uh, Sunday nights. And mm-hmm. what's dope about the show is it kind of grew. It kind of grew as I grew in New York. Uh, initially, some of the crowds were spotted. The first show was good, but then other crowds, you know, the show takes time to develop. And then as I started working more and being mm-hmm. on more stuff then the show kind of got, got a little bit bigger too. So, you know, uh, 20, 2011, 2012, it started being more packed and, uh, it was right in my neighborhood. So it'd be, it would be really dope. I'd stay two blocks away. So to kind of walk up, pop out the crib at eight 45 for a nine o'clock show and see a line out there. was, uh, it was a nice way to, to, mm-hmm. to do my Sundays and, and, uh, yeah, a lot of folks came through there and Talib, you performed there. At uh, and, and, uh, Gene right. did a lot. Uh, Chappelle went through. Mm-hmm. I remember Dion Cole had one of the best sets there because mm-hmm. he he got there towards the end because he was doing something else in Manhattan, and it the show had run long, and so been mm-hmm. you know a couple hours, two three hours. Sometimes you know shows just you, things get out of control and people stay on longer. I might mm-hmm. do more time. And so the show was, it was probably about, you know, show started at nine, Dion uh, going up about 1230. So that's a tired crowd. Dang. And so he get up there and he ripped that shit. Like it was, it was fret. Like it was a, you would not, if you just mm. popped in there, you would have thought the show kind of just started the way the energy was. I'll never, a lot of people came through. And ripped it, but that one was really impressive because I just know how tired the crowd was and how much they had heard already. Mm. And he demolished it. That was that was one. But it was a lot of uh, fun nights there. It was I miss I you know because it, mm. it makes you write a lot and, and, and having that weekly thing going mm. and being able to you know say hey, see me you know this is my one spot see me here versus trying to spread it out everywhere it's else home. And mm-hmm. so I built a. When I would do international tours <clears throat> and, and be in Australia or be in UK, there would be people at those shows say, oh, I went through Knitting Factory. I saw you there. And they were like, damn, you, all these folks are coming through that because it's a small spot, you know, 100 people or whatever when it's packed. So the fact that it was people around the world that, that would come in there when they were visiting was, was really special. Yeah, Michael Che mentioned it. Um, mm-hmm. during our interview with him as yeah. a special spot. Um, and I also want to give Dion Cole's props because his name keeps coming up mm-hmm. with the comedians. Um, just about every comedian that we've brought on the show has mentioned Dion Cole. So shout out to Dion Cole. Um, now, you also mentioned that the fly thing about what Eric Andre did with the Eric Andre show was that he mm-hmm. did it independently and that he couldn't have gotten it off the ground right. if he didn't do it himself. You... When you called me about Miami Nights, you explained to me that you turned down a lot of major deals, a lot of money so that you could release Miami Nights for free on YouTube for the people. And it's not a low production value special. There are effects, visuals. Um, why was distributing distributing for free the right call for this special? But this one, I think it's just, I, it, with, the, with how everything has kind of shifted in, in the world and in, in our business, I needed to shift how I was going to put this out. So mm-hmm. I just felt like if I went to uh, one of the, the the major streamers, the, the main drive would be, you know, to, 
is usually to sell tickets that fall on the road. Well, now the road is, I mean, the gigs are happening, but it's not happening in the same way that it wouldn't have been. And I wouldn't have been able to do the same numbers on the road without. So it kind of made things uncertain. So I, I just rather uh, take a risk on, on just keeping the ownership and putting it out on my own and then seeing what happens down the line. There's still an opportunity to go to those spots and, and, and have it be on at, but I just wanted to put it out on, on the release, but you know, movies mm-hmm. before they, they would go to theaters first and then they go to a streamer afterwards, but they, they eat mm-hmm. first. Well, I'm going to blame you in advance because now I have to get an auto-tune mic, an auto-tune mic. So sorry, Talib, when we get back in the studio, I'm going to have one there. So you can blame Hannibal for that. You're going to be singing uh, Judge Judy out here. Shit. Oh, listen, it, I cannot <laughs> wait. It's on my list of things on Amazon to get. You recently re-recorded My Name is Hannibal because uh, you sold the original to a yeah. label and you don't have the rights for it. Um, Taylor Swift also was talking about um, doing this as a way to get her masters back. Do you think that that's something that we're going to see more common as artists and um, creatives become more and more important and labels grow less influential? Yeah, I think, well, for me, the reason I wanted to do that, because the the deal I did uh, was at a, it was at a different time in comedy recordings when it was mm-hmm. more based on actual, you know, it was iTunes sales and Pandora was a factor. And then it was to have physical CDs as merchandise to sell after the show. That was really the main thing at that point was physical CDs and then, and then go to stores. And so that was 2008 when I, uh, that deal was done. And so the business is, is, is different now and I feel like the the they don't serve the same purpose at that label and they're not doing and, and their strategy hasn't really adjusted to to fit the times. Mm-hmm. And so I just wanted to buy the record back just to see what I could do with it. And they they refused. Mm-hmm. And so I rec- I haven't put out my my version yet, but uh that's why it was just like why, you know, I don't, I'd rather have it. I don't, I don't, I see what you do. I don't know if you're doing anything amazing. Uh, but they said it was mm-hmm. just, uh, a reply. I offered a good amount for it. I think I offered, you know, 30, 40 K to buy it back. And he you know, like, this is a very mm-hmm. important record for my catalog. And so we're gonna, we're not going to sell it to you. He said that in the press too. I thought that was very interesting for him to say in the press, this is a very important record for my catalog. I'm like, you, yeah, you don't tell so, no jokes. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's what it is. I think, you know, a lot of stuff, especially without, you know, you can distribute through TuneCore, you can put out stuff yourself and you can, you know, really market it on your own. Um, so if you if you got a good plan, then you're going to take better of you better than, you know, a company with, with 60, 70 folks and a bunch of releases and a bunch of back catalog. Mm-hmm. You, yours is going to be your, your priority. So if you really, you know, that's what that's how I feel about it. And so that's what, you know, when we do drop it, right. that's what we're going to do. When you um, redrop it, are you going to be able to do like the same exact jokes? Or do you have to tweak no. them some? Like how, One how thing you- that was, uh, I, I might do another recording of it, but the, the funny thing about doing these bits is that 
I had him on prompter and I didn't do that much prep for that show in Memphis. And so it was kind of wild just seeing, you know, how I was thinking then. Cause a lot of the, some of them are, you know, kind of staple bits that stuck like pickle juice, but mm-hmm. a lot of them are things I haven't done or even heard in years. So it was wild kind of going through mm-hmm. prompter and seeing it, uh, but because of that, I wonder if it'll be interesting to listen for folks because some of the reads are flat, the rhythms are a little bit different. Mm-hmm. But I think for somebody that's really into comedy and into that record, it could be an interesting listen. At one point, I brought somebody from the crowd to read a joke after prompt off the prompter. So <laughs> that was a that was a real <laughs> fun moment to uh, to see how that that was exciting. So I want I thought about doing it again. There was something that was just so <clears throat> you know. Like seeing a shock or feeling a shock, like damn, I said this shit. This is this is this is weird or this is how because right. it was, you know, it was done when I was twenty five. So I've been through a lot, or even just certain bits. Like yeah, my roommates said, and then my roommate said, or oh yeah, Barack <laughs> just got that job, you know, or ringtone right. rap as all these references that are right. super dated so that made it kind of fun to to reflect well, yeah. it was it was one of my favorite shows of last year that I performed right up but one of the my, one of my favorite things about doing this show is that you know we have arguments not we've never had no arguments but we have discussions about which clips mm-hmm. to put out because we want to we want the people to feel safe we want to take care of our guests but I like doing the show because we get to yeah. do the deep dives we get to talk to people for an hour, 45 minutes, an hour, hour and a half, two hours sometimes. And you get the whole perspective. There are guests on that I might not agree with or the guests that have done something that has been controversial, but it's just seen as one part of their story and the guests are not mm-hmm. defined by that. And I think that's what we try to do here at the People's Party. So I hope hope we're able to do it for Word, you man. as well. You know what? Um, I, I actually, uh, I meant to hit you up about the... Y'all were tasteful with how you handled uh, the JPEG Mafia episode. <laughs> I'm going to send you some, bro. The, I'm going to send you some. It could have been like some tacky ass JPEG Mafia spills mm-hmm. his guts. I did see the mm-hmm. much dank version of it. <laughs> okay, I was just about to send you that. I'm on my phone. I'm about to say it because I was like, much, much dank ain't do it like how we did it. But I thought the much dank thing was very uh, aesthetically, yeah, aesthetically was, yeah, creative. Was, uh, yeah, I saw. <laughs> so you seen it already? I'm gonna send it to you, Jazz. You ain't seen it. You all and I went over to the Uprocks page and like y'all didn't lean into it like that when that you know it would have gotten you more view, but it, mm-hmm. it would have been like what what type of views and 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 so I was like that's that's cool that they didn't do that. Yeah, shout out to JPEG Mafia. It was a lot of fun. And I, I recently watched the episode I did with JPEG Mafia. And I was I was yeah. laughing at it like it was something yeah. I wasn't in. You know, <laughs> it has good replay value. I was like, yo, this shit is crazy. Uh, Tiffany Haddish, who we just had, you, me, we've all had drunken, crazy stories in Miami with I different well. consequences. Shout uh, out to Drink Champs. Tiffany's led to a bad show and yours led to a jail cell. No uh, sale. Two questions. No sale, but is, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, almost, almost sell. <laughs> Handcuffs, we'll say. Uh, Miami, is a Miami a place that you just feel comfortable turning up? And would you have preferred the bad show over the police experience? Uh well, that experience itself, I mean, a bad show is bad. You know, it's just, you can, you make it up. Comedies, uh, you know, can be uncertain sometimes. 
I've had bad shows. The 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 arrest itself, it was my fault and not my fault at the same time. Meaning that I mm-hmm. I agitated it absolutely. I was, but what I was doing was not criminal in any way. It just mm-hmm. you know it just attacked his ego. And he was in a position mm-hmm. to be able to, you know, take action as a, you know, street authority mm-hmm. figure. So that's right. what that was. And so, it, I mean, that's, and that was part of the reason I stopped drinking. That that was leading to it. I was I would have periods where I go for a few weeks and stop drinking. And that did that was a catalyst just because it, you know, the other thing ain't no drinks worth this much shit. Ain't no mm-hmm. drinks mm-hmm. worth, you know, mm-hmm. it is, it, you know being on TMZ and shit and, 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 and having, hmm. you know, it's like that, that, I didn't want this night to be, this is just a drunk. I've had many drunk nights I, that didn't go public like this. Right. <laughs> 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 but on a, on a, on a more, on a heavier side of it, it just really shows that side of, you know, the police, just this petty policing where People mm-hmm. that you know should be able to brush some shit off, if it, especially if it's verbal and nobody, you you you're supposed to be better than us. There's less of you, so a cop mm-hmm. should be better than uh, a comedian. Yeah, being paid, paid too. So you should be better than somebody on the street that's twelve drinks deep. You should be able to, you know, <laughs> that's a drunk person. This is Miami. Yeah, they're saying stuff. Yeah, it's hurting my feelings a little bit, but. I don't need to bring the system into this because this isn't a real issue. But there's a lot of cops that don't have a, the emotional maturity to to be on the street and handle these situations. So, you know, you take somebody, put a lot of other people in that equation that, you know, can't really, that don't want to be taking a day or two off of work or might not have it to just get a lawyer to fight this bullshit. Even though it's so... You know that mm-hmm. shit is is ruining lives and ruining people losing their jobs or dealing with shit or having bullshit on their mm-hmm. record because it was bullshit but they couldn't fight it or something or and or they just accepted mm-hmm. a plea deal because they were scared or, or whatever and and so that's what the, the that situation is and so that's why I'm I'm uh, I'm excited to to tell the story because it's a lot of them that got away with these these petty ass and so it's like yo yeah well you. You did the petty arrest shit to the, to the wrong one. So what you said is interesting because we have what's happening now in 2020 is the mm-hmm. rise of the Karens. And if you go on Instagram and type in the hashtag Karens going wild, you'll see a bunch of white women, triggered white women doing some Karen yeah. ass, Becky ass shit. My favorite one is the one with the hammers. She's like yeah. Thor Karen. Like she had the two hammers. She's beating up some people's <laughs> car. And then the lady throws her in the bushes. But the most famous one is, is I think the lady's name is Amy Cooper. Um, and uh, she called, she had a black dude, a black birdwatcher dude was uh, asking her to put her dog on a leash. And she said, I'm going to call the police and tell them that an African-American man mm-hmm. is harassing me. And she did that because she saw the police as her personal bodyguard service. Mm -hmm. She saw the police as race soldiers. So she knew that if the police came, they would most more likely take her side and cause harm to this black man who she was trying to cause harm to. So something which you went through as innocent as I'm drunk and I need help. Somebody can call me an Uber. 
that could end up a death sentence for yeah. something like you. In the era of this protest over George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery, do you look at that situation that happened with you in Miami any different now? Uh, not any differently, just because it, you know, that was that was happening. This was just late 2017, so a lot of these situations. Mm-hmm. I just look at it just knowing, even though I was faded, I wasn't, I know that the, the situation had an end, and then I was, but mm-hmm. then it he agitated it. It was over, and then he still mm-hmm. wanted to to keep it going, and didn't he just because he didn't like what I was saying, and so mm-hmm. even faded on you know something's something's off with this cat. Like you own, I could you own mm-hmm. bullshit. So it's just those, just you know, we gotta just make sure that the. Somebody that has a a gun and is on the street should have the right temperament and be put through mm-hmm. certain situations. Like some of these police officers, yeah, just stand here. Let somebody that just a, a roast simulator. Can you handle being roasted without uh, arresting somebody for? <laughs> <laughs> can you right. do this? Can you and like, that cop, like that you cop know, had these, a... these situations? Is this you know right. instead of you Obstacles. know using the authority just to to settle scores? That's really don't use the authority to settle scores. Don't you know aggravate shit that doesn't need to be aggravated. But I think you also are a rebel at your cause. I mean, you have a bit in Animal Furnace. We talk about talking to the cops in uh, Montreal while you're jaywalking. And you say that I like to challenge the police in that way. I mean, I feel like you challenge authority, but I feel like as a comedian, as a, as a artist that you should. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really absurd situations where they, and it's a lot of times it's, it's taxing. They're supposed, they have quotas. Mm-hmm. So you got a quota of these mm-hmm. bullshit things. That's just to, to fuel business. It's not real. Mm. Crime, like, is it really that dangerous for me to be going, you know, 80 and 65 on a flat country road? You know, I am I, I do you mm. do we really got to talk about it? But you know, you don't get that, you know, 80 bucks or whatever, and then put that into the system. Mm. So, a lot of it is based around that, and then they coming in to, to you know, Capital basically rent. be tax collectors, and then they escalating shit or shit goes really, really, really left. Um, it's it's, uh, it's it's super it's it's complex and it's simple at the at the same time uh, but I think you know I, it, it looks like a lot of changes are being made and I think a lot of you know the police departments are looking inward and, and people are asking for uh, accountability and and just want to see the work being done and 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 so it looks like this is a good start uh you know with the, with everything that's no going doubt in the country no I agree I agree um I want to, again, thank you for your time and your energy here. Miami Nights is very, 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 very awesome. People can see it on YouTube. By the time this drops, Miami okay. Nights will be out on YouTube. Um, let's talk about 50 states of bowling. Because <laughs> I bowl. I'm a big Lebowski fan. I do shows at Brooklyn Bowl. I, yeah. I get my bowling on. You know, you what made you want to do that? I don't have my own. Um Bowling was I. I got really into bowling when I moved out here in LA. I would uh, just uh, it was a as far as activities, it was something to to do. Is somebody's not just going to a bar and drinking? It's mm-hmm. an easy go to activity. Let's go bowling. So uh, 
Thundercat bowls a lot. We 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 Aaron Allen Kane, um, and uh, a few other folks. Zach Fox, we bowl, and just uh, it's just a nice way to just hang out. And and then I started bowling on the road more, and it was like, oh, it'd be fun to do a bowling kind of mm-hmm. travel show. Uh, Fifty states of bowling. So mm-hmm. we were we were pitching that, and then everything the world got shut down. I'm working on okay. this other podcast that I started called Splitting Tens. It's a gambling podcast. Okay. Uh, me, my uncle used to deal, uh, my uncle Kelvin dealt at casinos in the Chicago area for about 20 years. So That's inspired some of your comedy, too. I've yeah, heard you do comedy about, about gambling. I, I, you know, the comedy I've done about gambling is is minuscule to the amount of actual gambling. I got like three <laughs> gambling jokes, but years of... <laughs> right. So this is an outlet for that. But it is fat, like just, you know, that that perspective of, you know, being a casino dealer and you're watching people over like lose, you know, six figures in a half hour while you're getting paid 10 or 15 dollars. And that's such a, a, a wild perspective to, to work from is that you're just kind of facilitating huge losses from people. So he would always have these wild stories about people and and gambling. And so started work on that uh so that that should be out soon splitting mm-hmm. tens that's because because splitting tens is a okay, terrible move in it. blackjack if you got 20 you split 10 so <laughs> right that's the working title right now I'm, I'm excited about that one well besides getting arrested uh uh for things that are not criminal which is a pretty black thing to do the blackest thing you've ever done is space <laughs> night <laughs> <laughs> so tell it us was, about that uh, Space Night is is also just me trying these projects that are just shit I like to do, which is I like to bowl. Right. I used to gamble a lot. I mm. like sitting with my friends talking shit and playing spades. And so, uh, yeah, we just spades is an amazing game. It was just wild thinking about it. It's, it hasn't. Yeah. There's so many poker shows over the years. All these poker mm-hmm. shows. There's poker here. The poker championship, celeb poker, this poker, this type of this poker, and so, and it's so wild because the game of poker is based around not showing any emotion and just hiding everything, and really just kind of having you know, and, and and all of the entertainment value in a poker show is is situational. What he announces, I create this mm-hmm. tension, and oh, this is what's happening. This is the cards, and so he's got that. And look at him; he's not making any facial expression. And, and so, mm-hmm. and so, why isn't there a spades show when spades is all about people talking with each other, talking shit, like really trying to psych each other out, saying wild stuff, you know, mm-hmm. getting cards and just being into it and slapping cards down. Putting Lame. card on their forehead, showing you what the look. I got the big joke, mother. <laughs> and it's, it is made for a series, uh, and and so right. We shot that last year. Uh, yeah, Dion came through. Tiffany Haddish came through. Did it. Lucas Brothers, Open Mike Eagle. Uh, my pops was on the episode, uh, and so yeah, that's another project. I'm a, once I'm about to get back in the zone and, and of uh, of making stuff, but. Right. Uh, yeah, that was that one was really fun because the day just flew by, and that's how you know it's a it's a, a project that's dope for you. Where I, I I did a full day, we did three episodes, and it was like mm-hmm. you know it was smooth. It was just it wasn't because I've been at things sometime where, and I think that's also the thing with running your own project is that you have more to worry about than just saying lines. You know what I mean? 
So it, it moves mm-hmm. different because you're worried about the look and you're like, okay, wardrobe, this thing. Okay, let's get these bits right, move the cameras. And so it's more involved than kind of just being on something. So the, the day flew by and it, was, and it was fun playing with everybody and, and hanging out. So yeah, man, space night. I want actually at the beginning of pandemic, I, I had an idea to do hazmat suit spades where everybody's <laughs> in hazmat suits and because we were scared or whatever. And so I didn't, you know, uh-huh. I didn't get that one going. Uh, there's a lot of other pandemic projects that I had at, at, at around that, that March, <laughs> uh, that March 16th to uh, 27th zone of uh, idea generation. Uh, uh, they all involved hazmat suits. <laughs> <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, we have the handsome rambler. His name is Hannibal. It's Hannibal Barres. Thank you for coming Thank on the People's you, Party. We really appreciate your time appreciate and your energy, it, brother. Thanks, man. Definitely. Thanks, y'all. All right. Thank you for yeah, doing this with us, man. Oh, wow. <laughs> you had that on deck, huh? 90. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Hannibal. Thanks,